Hi, it's Tony. On today's show, we'll talk with Mitch Album about his latest book, The Little Liar, and we'll find out if Chessie ate the Thanksgiving turkey. If she did, she didn't eat it in our house because <laughs> she was at Sam's house. But first, as we know, kids, commerce. Anger out sports media and a fan of oh my NC State Wolfpack for a lifetime has taught me that sometimes it's exploring the sliding doors moments and what if scenarios in sports that can be the best part of the fan experience. What if the Seahawks let Marshawn run to the one yard line with the Super Bowl on the line? Or could a coin flip have landed magic in Chicago, Michael in LA, and made Charles Barkley the first black president? Enter Wondery's newest sports show. Alternate Routes, a weekly leap into the sports multiverse with former sports center anchors Trey Wingo and Kevin Frazier. Each week of the podcast, Trey and Kevin will probably open the sliding doors of a different what-if moment from the world of sports. In these alternate sports realities, dynasties will fall. Legacies will change forever. New goats will emerge. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Alternate Routes early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle, from the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback. There's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. You're going to take Virginia. Yes. Virginia plus two and a half. Okay. That's right. And then you're not going to like this at all. But the commodes travel to Dallas. (laughs) Yeah. And they get an 11, and I take them in the 11. You're going to take them? They're terrible. I, well, you, don't get, you don't get 11 points if you're any good. <laughs> <laughs> the Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. Not even close. Not even close on 10 and a half or 11 or 12. Doesn't not even no. close. Second half really. Not even close. Bootsy was giving us the updates on the star team. Just <laughs> so terrible. Team. So terrible. All right, let me um, open. Well, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about Thanksgiving, and I will talk a little bit about uh, the reaction to what I did the other day about um, the assassination of John Kennedy. I got, I did get a, some texts about that. I mean, people of a certain age remember exactly where they were, but this is different. This is from Ellen Evans, and she writes, and she wrote this a couple of days ago. Today is Friday, November 24th, and I'm in Rehoboth with our extended family celebrating Thanksgiving. I was up early, went out for a walk. After seeing a glorious sunrise on the beach, I got coffee from Rise Up. That's a a coffee joint on Rehoboth Avenue. 
and was briskly walking fully in my thoughts, and I approached a sneaky tall man walking towards me. We smiled at each other, said good morning. Right after I passed him, it hit me. I turned my head over my shoulder and slightly louder than the stage whisper said, ooh, la cheeserie. And now my life is complete. I chose not to disrupt your morning reverie. But if I'd gone all fangirl, I would have told you how much joy you've brought to my family and me for close to 30 years. Thanks for inadvertently making an already beautiful day even better. That's thank you to Ellen. Yes, I was out there uh, for a couple of days with Michael and Liz and the boys and... um, the weather out there was very cooperative, right? I mean, in the sense that it didn't Every day snow had beautiful moments, but it also reminded you, you're officially at the end of fall, and it's beginning yeah. to feel like winter. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's out there, you have, you have a brisk wind. It's, it gets windy. Yeah. You know, particularly on that golf course, it gets really windy. Um, so I just... Rise Up is right by the little uh, roundabout as you're heading into town. Yeah, yeah. From Jerry Wagoner. Is it better than the Russian coffee at Dunkin' Donuts? Uh, I was going to get to that. The highlight of my trip was I took the three boys and took a a picture of all five of us at the Dunkin' Donuts, where, in fact, they did serve us. They had coffee. And They had donuts. It was shocking. They had donuts. Brilliant. I wish there was something clever and funny to say about the situation, but a close friend of mine finds himself in the same predicament you were in several months ago, and he's looking for guidance. Tidewater, the water supplier for our community, Kinsale Glen. I know exactly where that is. That's Cross Route 1. Not far from Rehoboth Country Club, has charged him $7,741 for his hmm. last quarter's water usage. Hmm. His normal quarterly bill is about $135. It's the same as me. <laughs> like your story I heard on your podcast, Tide, Tidewater is not willing to budge. They say they have tested the meter and everything looks good on their end. Therefore, the bills must be correct and they are not willing to adjust and are threatening fees and penalties for non payment. My friend. Helped me with a home repair yesterday. I told him of your saga, and I offered to reach out to you and see how you resolved the situation. How I resolved it? I paid it. Mm. Uh, it never came back to me. I, now, mine was about eleven or $1,200, not $7,700. That's... But, I mean, my advice would be get a lawyer. Yes. Get a you lawyer. Get a lawyer, because that's not going to cost you $7,000. You'd get a lawyer for a grand. Yeah. And then beat this thing down. Come on. Um a reply by email with any advice or suggestions would be greatly appreciated. There's no email. No, we just got it. It's just, just ridiculous. You present the bill and you say, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. You don't have a single house in Kinsale Glen that has anywhere near this. Why do you think we have it? And if we had it, why didn't you alert us? Yeah. When it was spiking up for a week in a row, why didn't you alert us? I mean, this is all of my points. And they told me to, you know, pound sand. By the way, just to drop a name, one of my golf and poker buddies, Al Serafino, enjoyed your shout-out on BTI earlier this year. <laughs> That's so wonderful. We got some mail on the uh, Kennedy story. Mark Schaefer wrote, Thank you for sharing your recollections and reflections on November 22, 1963. I agree with you that every generation has its I-remember-where-I-was moment. Um, for me and a lot of people my age, it was a challenger explosion. And I, I said that my senior year in high school, but I think Kennedy assassination was something much more than one of those moments. It ended an entire age. When I was in seminary, my church history professor was talking about the different eras in human history and the ways that each looked to a different source of truth. The medieval era looked to divine revelation and the modern era looked to reason. And then he said something shocking. The modern era ended in Europe in 1917, when World War I smashed any 19th century hopes of unlimited progress due to science and reason. But the modern era didn't end in America until the Kennedy assassination. I, I buy that. Prior to that moment, the U.S. had remained largely immune from the chaos of two world wars and still believed in unlimited progress towards a brighter future, much of that having to do with our geography. And we're a long way away from all of those things that were happening in the rest of the world. The Kennedy assassination was not just the end of innocence. It began a process of most postmodern skepticism that has only grown. 
Since that time, we have seen a steady erosion in trust in public institutions, authorities, and even most tragically observable fact. It's a good point, Mark. It's no coincidence that the granddaddy of all conspiracy theories is the JFK assassination conspiracy theory. So you're not wrong at all in thinking that of all the tragedies in American public life, Pearl Harbor, the Challenger, 9-11, the Kennedy assassination looms largest. All of this is to say I appreciate your first-person reflection on that day. You were witness to history in more ways than you realize. Uh, from Shad, straight, no chaser. Thanks for sharing. From Kenneth Klein, longtime listener. I, like you, was a New York City schoolboy and heard of the Kennedy assassination in high school, just like you. Little did I know that 15 years later, after trying murder cases in the Manhattan District of Attorney's Office, District Attorney's Office, I'd be hired by the U.S. House of Representatives to be the Assistant Deputy Chief Counsel of the House of Representatives Select Investigating Committee of Committee investigating the Kennedy assassination. One little-known conclusion drawn by our committee, based upon a scientific examination by audio experts of a tape of the shots fired that day and set forth in the committee's final report, was that the evidence showed there were bullets fired not by one but by two shooters. One firing from above and behind the president and a second firing from the grassy knoll. Amazing that the U.S. Congressional Committee reached that conclusion in its final report in 1980, and so few people are aware of that fact. And I add parenthetically, I was not aware of that fact. And that changes Changes everything. Changes everything. Next year on November 22nd, you can casually mention the second shooter in a major friend's Ken Klein, Santa Clarita, or Clarita, California. Wow. That does change. From Steve the Sycophant. Uh, Many thanks for your comments on the assassination of John Kennedy. You said what I've often tried to say about that day, a defining one for me, too. I was a senior at the University of Nebraska, and on that Thursday, the whole campus was in an uproar over the upcoming Saturday game between Nebraska and Oklahoma for the Big A championship in an Orange Bowl bid. Then the world turned upside down. I remember watching Walter Cronkite on CBS Live confirming Kennedy's death. That's when I really believed it. Most college games were canceled or delayed, but NU and Oklahoma played. One factor that helped tip the scales was Oklahoma coach Bud Wilkinson, a friend of the Kennedy family, talking with someone in Bobby Kennedy's entourage and getting the go-ahead. Should the game have been played? Now I think no. Then it was yes. I remember being in Vietnam four years later and thinking, would JFK have been able to keep us out of this mess? Another what if with no answer. As you noted, for my parents, it was Pearl Harbor. For my son's 9-11 and for later generations, whatever the next disaster is. Let's just hope nukes won't be involved. Steve the sycophant. Kevin Bench, The Hills in Texas. I'm 71 years old, and I think November 22, 1963 is the most memorable and significant day of my life. Thank you for saying it. Bob Davis, Wake Forest. 10th grade biology class, North Penn High School. If you're old like me and Tony, you can remember exactly where you were 60 years ago, November 22, 1963, the day that changed the course of America forever. And then days of just watching events on black and white television. Look it up, people. Yeah, so thank you for... The response to that, sad that it, it had to go on, but it's, you know, thank you for the response. Um, I hope everybody had a nice Thanksgiving. We had a lovely Thanksgiving out at the beach with the um, three boys. Tough, I say to Michael, tough to be a parent of three boys. Those Kornheiser boys. Six, four, and one. Puts it in perspective, right, Dad? <laughs> yeah. One of them, the baby... Uh, you, Fearless. You have to worry about the baby running around a house he's unfamiliar with that he'll fall and crack his skull open on any number of things. Yes. So you got to watch the baby all the time. The other two are fighting. You know? <laughs> Turn your head, they're fighting on the ground. Not just bickering, wrestling. No, right? no wrestling. Yeah, so. And you're like, where'd you learn these moves? <laughs> yeah. We had lovely food, though. We got food from Jerry, the chef at uh, Rehoboth Beach Country Club, a lovely, lovely turkey breast with. I thought delicious and sweet stuffing 
ladled with mangoes and cranberries and mm. a great a apricots. Gr- apricots, right? Well, Carol said it was mangoes when she ate some of it. Oh, okay, apricots, whatever. And um, that was really, really good and a fabulous apple pie, the best apple pie I've ever had. A beautiful I, pie. Oh, it was great. And then I also top. got a meal from Roberto Dona, the traditional Italian Thanksgiving beef and tortellini. <laughs> we, have to, we have to rewind on this one. So this Thanksgiving is months in the making. This is, we're not going back to, you know, did I defrost the, the turkey properly from years ago? And we're at that point where we cook dinner most nights at our house and we're always happy to have family and our boys were very lucky. They got to see both sets of grandparents at some point over Thanksgiving week. So uh, we had a lot of reminders for all of our blessings. But we decided we're going to be out at the beach. We don't really want to spend all day cooking. There's other things yes. we want to do. And Rehoboth offers, like, as many clubs and restaurants, the, the ability to do takeout. So we picked the the, the turkey breast dinner because kids don't eat that much, but it still gives you the traditional, uh, you know, the, the, the stuffing on the side, the, your gravies. Uh, we gravy thought we were going to get great. some potatoes. Yeah. Was and, it was, and it was a... A very rich gravy. It was, yeah. it was awesome. So, so then we decide this. We put the order, and Dad just throws a curveball. Roberta Dona's doing some takeout. How many how many meals do you want to get? And I go, <laughs> I don't want any. We already have dinner taken care of. Mm. So you picked up Roberta Dona dinner, got delivered Darryl to your house. Clark, yeah, Darryl, you then drove it out to another state. You drove it to Delaware to then not Through have on states, Thanksgiving. Actually. Yeah, yeah. To have the day, day after, after Thanksgiving. <laughs> Great. It's good planning. You had no intention of heating, reheating preparing any of the dishes that we had. So I had to clean out your oven and you just sat there. <laughs> reminding <laughs> me that reminding me that the soup I warmed up for you was not hot enough. That soup was great. That was fantastic. That was done at Rehoboth cream of crab soup. Yes. That was fantastic. Rich. Mm-hmm. You can only have a, a mug full of it, but fantastic. So I'll say this one thing, because everybody knows I hate pumpkin. Although I'm not sure I've ever eaten pumpkin. But I'm sure I would hate it if I ate it. I don't eat pumpkin pie. And all the associated pumpkin okay. spice things. No, none yeah. of that junk. Yes. Yeah, none of it's that not is, a real flavor. You know, <laughs> it's really right. not. So let me just say this. Roberto Dona made a pumpkin tiramisu. Mm. And you had a bite of it. Yes. And Liz had a bite of it. And I asked you, is it pumpkin-y? And you both said, it's more chocolatey coffee. coffee. It's more like chocolate and coffee. So I ate it. I ate half of it. And? And it had a certain tang that maybe was pumpkin. I don't know because I don't eat pumpkin, so I don't know. It's fabulous. I still have some of it. It is fabulous. <laughs> I was thinking of you because there was a great meme that I was watching on Instagram about all food safety rules go out the window for Thanksgiving. Sure, oh, yeah. I see a turkey that's been on the counter for five hours. Why not? This so, is you driving food back and forth, wrapping up leftovers, <laughs> leaving them out. Yeah. I, <laughs> still I, here? I died from the turkey. I'm good. You know, so... Um, we got two why, turkey breasts. I, I You're talk. still rocking the second one of the fridge. Yes, it's still there. Most of it is there. As um, long as you don't carry the meat in days. your pocket. You know. I'm going to eat it for the next three days. Um, Get the Heinz gravy. The reason... I still have some of the Rehoboth gravy, which works great, obviously. The reason that Thanksgiving is the best holiday, in my opinion, the best holiday, is because it is a secular holiday that has nothing to do with death. Okay? It's not Memorial Day. It's not July 4th, where it was a revolution and there was death. It's not that. And it's totally secular. And it's about food. It's about food. Yeah. And it's the best. Food and football. Yeah. It's just the best. We were able to watch the game. So as we were preparing some of this food for you, it just made me happy that 
The bootster is now old enough where he could sit on the... He's, he's graduated to where he's allowed to sit on the couch with you. You guys slowly got closer and closer together as you tried to explain what was happening in the commander's game. Yeah, and he loves all the that. numbers. He loves trying to figure <laughs> it out. He's now calling for penalties. He has no idea what's going on. But to see that image from behind made me very happy. I was very... I, I had a lovely time. Now, I think you're afraid of the hammer. I have... Ooh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, he's a volatile four-and-a-half-year-old. Yes, he is. He's a wild man. Uh, I have... You know, just a profound appreciation of how much harder it is to raise three boys, six, four, and one at this point than anything I ever did in my life. I had two children, and I was never home. Well, this is why <laughs> everyone, everyone makes that joke when you go from, you know, when you go to man, from man to man to zone, zone with the third. Yeah. And the reality is, at the end of the day, you just feel like, you've, you feel like you have tried your hardest to get a meaningful, you know, interactions with each boy, but that you also feel like you've let somebody down. Well, it's just, you know... It's, what did I say? I called somebody and I said, they would never ask me to babysit. Well, now you understand. And I would never be able to do it, so don't ask <laughs> me. But again, you'd pull out, oh, you'd pull out the cash. That's yeah. right. All right, we'll take care of this. I'd hire somebody. <laughs> All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we're supposed to have Michael Wilbon with us, yes? No, uh, Mitch Oh, is Mitch going to be first? Well, Mitch I'll, first. Okay, then down the road, I'll explain what happened to Wilbon. I'm Tony Kornheiser. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You're listening to the Tony Kornheiser Show. I'm so worn out. This is a man named Tom Golly. This is a song called Making Moves, and he writes, My name is Tom. I'm Cat Stewart's manager, longtime PTI and Kornheiser fan myself. It was awesome you chose to play Cat's songs on the show a little while ago. It was an honor and a blessing for our team. It's always special when you want to help independent artists. I'm also an artist. I have some songs that if you're interested in playing for your show, it'd be amazing to hear them, especially as intros for segments like you always use them. I give full permission. This is called Making Moves. It plays in my dear friend... One of the great musicians of all time. I'm not even going to talk about his writing. Just as a great musician of all time. Mitch Album, who has a new book. And I have the book in my hand. And the book is called The Little Liar. And before we start talking to Mitch about that, I did something with Mitch's book that I do with friends of mine who write books and send me books. I put these things on the PTI set. I put them so as you look at me, it would pretty much be to my right-hand side, near my right shoulder. And I put him out there for two, three days and just wonder if anything happens. You heard about this, did you not? I didn't hear about it. I got sent screenshots <laughs> from around the country. Look, who, look what's next to Kornheiser's ear. <laughs> I'm like, there's a sentence you don't expect very often. Right. And uh, there was my book. Uh, so thank you for making the shelf. I appreciate it. It's, it's, it always gives me a wonderful feeling to do small little things like that with either pictures of people or books they've, you know what I mean? Um, because yeah. I do know that there's a market out there for people who look to see, well, how did he change the show this week? Cause we always have different paintings up or photographs or stuff like that. So yeah. So I'm, I'm happy. So that I'm happy that you, that you got that reaction from people. I should ask you, the book is called the little liar. And I, have, I will get to my own confession in a little while, but when did you write it, and what 
caused you to write it, and please talk about it. All right. So I started writing a couple years ago. I had the idea 10 years ago. I always wanted to write a book about truth and lying and the consequences of it. And I finally found a story that I thought would do that, uh, that was kind of inspired by true events. It's a fictional story, but real things kind of happen. And it basically follows a little boy uh, in Greece who never told a lie in his life until he was 11 years old. And the Nazis invaded his village and they found out about his honesty and they decided to use it. And they kidnapped him and they said, listen, you can go back to your family. All you have to do is stand on these train tracks for a couple of weeks and tell the people who are getting on where they're going. Tell them they're going to good jobs and good homes and they're all going to be together. And then you can go back to your family. So he does this because he's trusting and he thinks he's telling the truth and people trust him because he's never lied. And on the last day, on the last train, he sees his own family being shoved into a boxcar and he finds out that these trains are actually going off to concentration camps and he's not allowed to go. And it follows the consequence of this one lie over the next 40 years of his life, of his brother's life, of their girlfriend's life, and of the Nazi's life to show the ramifications of, you know, one lie and what happens when we lose the truth. And, you know, he becomes a, he becomes a pathological liar later in his life. He can't tell the truth anymore. He wanders around the world. He becomes like that guy in Catch Me If You Can, you know, who yeah. changes his identity and, become, and becomes a, a billionaire, but reclusive, you know, no friends, no anything, because he's lived with the guilt of this lie. And his brother and the girl try to find him throughout the course of the book, one to blame him and the other to forgive him. So it's a, you know, it's a parable about truth and lying. And, uh, and uh, I think it's, it turns out to be an important time to get a book like that i think i will now confess this you know me very well uh you know my emotional makeup i had to stop 30 pages in i cried on every page i did i mean that's because of my particular dna and how it affected me but i had to stop because i was crying has anybody else given you that sort of reaction as said this got to me more than i have ever imagined yeah, usually they tend to finish the book. And then they do it, but, <laughs> I went to the I, end. Yeah. I know how it ends. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I do. It, it, it's, it, you know, it's only tough to read at the very beginning oh. because it details some yeah. of the events. But it goes for 40 years. It's not as tough the rest of the way. But, yeah, people, I'm kind of used to people crying uh, at, at my books. I, I did the Today Show a, a couple of weeks ago when it first came out, and uh, – I basically sat down with Hoda Kotb and she looked at me, she started crying. <laughs> I said, okay, you got to wait until we talk about something, you know, like you're going to give me a complex here. But, uh, you know, I guess, I guess that's a good thing if you move people with your stories. So here is the overarching question that I think if somebody was doing a large story on you, they would ask. And they would say you often deal, so often deal with moral issues, with spiritual issues. With issues of right and wrong, why do you do that? Well, you know, I wrote sports until Tuesdays with Maury in 1997. And, uh, you know, that book I wrote just to pay Maury's medical bills. And Mm -hmm. I was planning on going back to sports writing and, you know, that would be that. And then, for whatever reason, Tuesdays with Maury took off and became this much, much larger than life thing. And... Pretty much everybody who stopped to talk to me didn't ask me who was going to win the Super Bowl anymore on the sports reporters. They said, 
my mother died of cancer and the last thing we did was read Tuesdays with Maury. Can I talk to you about it? You know, and I suddenly got started uh, being asked to speak at universities and at funerals and at uh, uh, hospice groups and things like that. And my world sort of changed in terms of like, okay, if I'm going to invest time in a, in a book, am I going to write about a, a guy, you know, playing basketball or am I going to write about larger issues? You know, and I began to write novels about larger issues and, yeah. and they fascinated me, you know, and I, I, you know, I try to, it takes a lot of effort to read a book as you have just illustrated. Yeah. I think, you know, people have the right to get something out of it that's going to stay with them uh, for some time if I can deliver that. You believe in moral law? You believe that there is yeah. something out there that, right. I mean, because I don't think you could write the books that you've written. And not every book is this way. But I don't think the, you could write the books you have written with the larger themes that you are writing about if you didn't believe in it, right? It, it, it would not ring true. The thing about your books is they ring true all the time. Well, I, I, uh, I believe in moral law, but, but even more, more so, I believe in hope. And uh, I've been teased for this. Um, a critic once dismissed me by saying, ah, oh, he's just the king of hope, which to pretty me good. is like a pretty, pretty good throne to <laughs> pretty good. get stuck on. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, you know, I, I, no matter what the circumstances, if it's the five people you mean in heaven or stranger in a lifeboat yeah. or this one, it, even though they, they present some moral dilemmas, they end with hope. And uh, that's, you know, I, I live my life that way. I, I work with kids in Haiti, you know, you know, yes. if you don't have hope down there, you can't work. Uh, so, you know, that's even a bigger theme. I wrote down a note to say, Mitch, can't you just write a simple love story? Can't you just, can't you just do that? Can't you write a Hallmark movie? Huh? Uh, actually, actually, I did write a Hallmark movie. Once. You did? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which uh, one? On the, uh, it's called Have a Little Faith. It was on uh, Hallmark uh, Hall of Fame about, I don't know, 10 years ago. That's tremendous. Yeah, but, but I mean, yeah. you know, like, if you yeah, were... Yeah, I know. Like, doesn't make you think too much. Just, you know, boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl. Yeah. That's what you want. Okay, if, if you were, next time. If you were sitting at the... <laughs> no, but I'm saying, if you were sitting at the piano, if you were sitting at the piano and composing music... It would not have these themes because it's more frivolous. I mean, the music is certainly more, it's lovely, but it's more frivolous. And I just wondered, uh, does Janine ever say to you, does anybody ever say to you, Mitch, let's just write a love story. Let's just make it happen. Love story, quick. I don't know. I'm, I'm actually, actually sitting at the piano right now. I could, uh, I could do a love story right here, you know. <laughs> oh. That make you happier. <laughs> so fabulous! You got to sit by a piano. It's like when Springs when Springsteen does interviews, he just sits with a guitar all the time because <laughs> sure. that's uh, that's his safety net. I know the music that works for you. It goes. It's all like that. It's all 1950s through yeah. 1960s, which Tony and I actually sang in a sang on stage doing uh, like "Teenager in Love" and yep. songs like that back in the Super Bowl. At the Super many Bowl, we had uh, backup. Leslie Visser was one of our backup singers at one point. Mike Litwin yeah. was yeah. there. Um, Alan, Alan Greenberg. Greenberg was there. Yeah, Mark Heisler was there, and everybody everybody did this. I remember that. Well, I have a couple of pictures of that. Yep. Very, very lovely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You used to do, when it was your turn to just do a solo, You 
not invariably, but very often did Rock and Robin, if I recall correctly. Yeah, boy, good memory. Yeah, yeah. Rocks well, in the treetops all day long. Rocking and a bopping, singing his song. <laughs> all the little birdies on Jaybird Street love to hear well, the Robin go tweet, 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 tweet. tweet. Uh, yeah. we've, we've moved away from the little liar. <laughs> <a> little <bit>. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, um, Tony. Thanks, thanks for getting away. as far away from my book as is humanly possible. No, the book is great. Come on now. The book is great. And I love you and I love the writing. I do. I, I have you on. I can't not ask this. You live in oh, Detroit. Absolutely. You've chosen to make your life in Detroit. Yeah. Jim Harbaugh is 15 minutes away, probably, at the University of Michigan. What do you make of all this? And what do you make of the fact that they won all three games without him and they beat Ohio State? What do you make yeah. of that? Well, I'm glad that they did because the kids themselves had nothing to do with any of this. And I, I, I'm, I'm, I can pretty much assure you they weren't sitting around going, oh, good, we stole their signs. Now we can be – they just do what the coaches tell them yeah. to do. And, you know, the Big Ten, I have some issues with the way that they acted, not, not necessarily because they should or shouldn't take action, but because it seems as a result of other coaches like Ryan Day screaming at them saying, you need to take action. And – Basically, what they said was, we're going to balance out the season here. The reason we're taking action now is because it's quite possible that Michigan benefited unfairly in the early games of this year. So we need to balance it by giving them a disadvantage in the later games of this year. They basically said that in the report. And first of all, the early games in that year, they won like by an average of 51 to 7. <laughs> I don't think that they – I'm not sure that it was all sign-stealing. And then the three games that they decided to punish them for were Penn State, Maryland on the road, and Ohio State. And that's way tougher than any of the other three games that they played. So if the kids had faltered or lost, of course, you know, the critics would say, well, see, they only won because they were sign-stealing. But they, they beat Ohio State. They stared them down. I was at the game. And, uh, and beat them, you know, uh, without question. And then also beat Penn State pretty handily, yep. running the ball about 100 times in a row, and, and beat Maryland. So, you know, if there was any kind of advantage, it w- that wasn't the reason that they won games. And so I was happy to see it. As far as Jim, who I've known since he was the quarterback at Michigan, I literally was the first quarterback I covered when I got here. Um, I don't know what to, to make of him. He's, he's, he's very quixotic. He's, he's unusual. He's, he's, he was since he was a kid. He swears that he didn't have any knowledge of it or whatever, and he's not like him to swear that if he knows that it's going to come back to bite him. Um, but that doesn't mean that it was right, and they, they, you know, they did cheat based on the rules as they're written. Uh, but now he gets to, you know, now very quickly, you know how it turns in the sports world, like, okay, that's behind, and now let's see if he can actually win a playoff game, you know, uh, which is, has been their bugaboo that's when right. they've gotten to the national championship, and that's what it'll be. So let me let me uh, go from A to Z and back to A again, having established your belief in moral law, having established the larger themes in, in your life, and not to make sign-stealing, not to equate that with anything that's in The Little Liar or Stranger in the Boat or any of those things. But why do you think Michigan accepted the punishment? This is the part I've had difficulty with. Why didn't they say no? No, stop. This is ridiculous. We want our day in court, and, we're, and you are not the court. Why did they accept the punishment? Well, apparently, you know, they, they did that at the same time that they fired a linebacker's coach. Yes. And I think what happened was uh, the Big Ten or whoever was making this case presented some evidence that would have been embarrassing 
uh, to the program. And, and the fact that they fired a linebackers coach uh, who they claimed was trying to cover it up, mm-hmm. uh, I mm-hmm. think they felt like, okay, if we go to court, more stuff's going to come out than, than we want, and, and it's going to stay in the university more. Let's just take this punishment and be over with. I mean, you know, I, they probably were advised that they weren't going to win. That's why it's usually why people don't, you know, to accept their penalties and don't go to court. Does that mean that they had something on Harbaugh? Not necessarily. It means they had something that was embarrassing to the university if it became public. And I imagine that's why they decided not to do it. So if you were writing about this, if you were doing, you know, a, a book, a, a novel about <laughs> right and wrong with, with Michigan, right and wrong, um, they broke a rule. The rule is a stupid rule. It's a, the yeah. dumbest rule I've ever heard of. No advanced scouting in the Big Ten. Every pro team and every pro sport builds its life on advanced. I don't, don't even understand it. And you can't tell me it's about money because the Big Ten Network furnishes so much money to all of these schools. It's just a ludicrously dumb rule. But the rule was indeed, nobody quibbles that the rule was broken. Not necessarily they stole the signs, but they did the advanced scouting work, which is against the rule. Which side would you come down on on this? I'd come down on what you just said. You broke a rule. There has to be some kind of punishment. Mm -hmm. And then it just becomes a question, what's the right punishment? Um, you know, you're not going to, are you going to dock them scholarships? Are you going to keep them from going? Someone had suggested you can't go to the championship game. You know, that didn't happen. They're going. So they decided, okay, well, the head coach is the head of the program, and uh, so we're going to take it out on him. Yeah. You know, uh, right or wrong, I don't know. I mean, they, they, did, they did do it, and they're not done. You know, the NCAA will come in with whatever they're going to come with. It, it, it might be the year 2030 by the time yeah. they get their report done. But they're not done, but they are done with the Big Ten portion of it. And, you know, as I say, ultimately, the kids shouldn't be held responsible for it. They didn't do it, and I'm glad that they at least have a chance to prove themselves on the field. They do. They don't get that ticket. And Harbaugh gets that chance in the playoffs. Yeah. And so the, the, the end question on, on this segment for, about Jim Harbaugh is, do you think, and you know him a long time, do you think he'll be there next year? Uh, I'm not sure the NFL's in a hurry to take him either. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's, he's, he's done that dance a few times. And even though, you know, the NFL doesn't care about sign stealing, um, you know, do they want the baggage that kind of comes with Jim? You know, that, the baggage, in, you know, got him out of San Francisco. You know, people, people remember his record, but they forget that, you know, he was successful in San Francisco and they got rid of him because he couldn't get along with certain players or whether they got tired of his, his routine, you know. And that goes around in the NFL, and maybe they don't want to take a huge chance on him. Maybe there's one team – you know, like there was last year or the year before, or this one team that flirts with him. He's got a pretty good deal at Michigan. You know, he can stay there the way he's been coaching him now. He could stay there the rest of his life. I know his family. I know they, they like being in Arbor. I know if he walks away from Michigan, he's never coming back. And I'm not sure that he wants to sever that. So I'd put it at, you know, 60-40 that he stays. Okay. Uh, Mitch's book is called The Little Liar. I commend everything Mitch has ever written to all of you out there. Um, and I deeply appreciate you being on. Thank you, Mitch. It's a pleasure, Tony. Mitch Album, a good friend. We'll take a break. We will come back with me because, as I will explain to you, Michael Wilbon is under the weather today, and I'm Tony Kornheiser. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. Once again, Tom Golly is singing for us. This is a song called I'm Letting Go. Michael, if independent musicians and artists like Tom Golly want to send in their songs, get them played here, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyCornizerShow.com. And remember, you can listen to them in their entirety without us babbling at the end of the show. And I shouldn't do this. I shouldn't disparage Tom because these are lovely songs and we're thrilled to play them. But when I hear his name, Tom Golly, all I think of is that song. I think it was the Stylistics, Betcha by Golly Wow. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Was that song any good? It was okay. Okay. It's okay. It's not a candidate. It's, you know. Okay, it's not on the list of branding. No, 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 no. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Um, all right, so in this segment, we generally have Michael Wilbon. Uh, but he got ill overnight, sent us a note saying, uh, it's a struggle, you know. And so we said, get better, you know, take a pass on this show. And I, we would have talked about the football over the weekend. And actually, we would have talked a lot more about the college than the pro. I will just say this, that of the pro football games yesterday, it was sort of a dull slate. But the Buffalo... Philadelphia game was a great game, just a great game, and I cannot... They lose again in overtime. Yeah, I cannot be more praising of Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts. I mean, they were great. Yeah. Uh, They were just great. Jalen Hurts is a leader, kids. Yes. He doesn't make mistakes. I mean, he got them... They're down three in OT, and he gets them into the end zone. Um I was. I thought about the field goal to get into overtime. Fifty nine yards to get to overtime. That's luck. The description. No, the description that Romo had clearly is a golfer. Where you have, oh, he's playing the hard fade off the court or letting the wind <laughs> drift it back to the center of the fairway. Yeah. Wasn't yeah. another game? Houston missed a fifty eight. Would hit the. Hit yeah, the, it hit the bar. Yeah. But that didn't have the consequences of this. No, and it's pretty rare no. that you get a center getting that much attention with Kelsey in terms of the penalties. Twice. And then you know the play that leads to the Hurts uh, touchdown. Yeah. I mean, it was really, really. A wonderful game to watch. Buffalo needed to win that game. They're they should have. Had, now. They should have had the touchdown to. Yeah, uh, the the receivers open and 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 Allen throws it to the wrong side or he moves to the wrong side. I have no idea what happened, but it was a greatly entertaining game. Philadelphia has now won. They beaten Kansas City and Buffalo at home. Now at home helps, but these are two very good teams, and they've now beaten them. Two weather affected games. Yeah, and they have San Francisco at Philadelphia next Sunday, mm. which is must-watch TV. Absolutely. And how did Philadelphia get those three in a row at home? You know, they get them at home. So we'll see what happens with that. That was the best game on the board. In, does that, in does the that loss keep the Bills out of the playoffs? I think, I, yeah, because I think the Bills will lose their next game when they play. They were by this week, I think. Then they play at Kansas City. Then they have Dallas at home. 
If they lose those both, they're six and eight, and they're not getting in. Yeah. Nine and eight's not getting in. <clears throat> so, you know, I, I went through some of the stuff today on the standings. Like, Philadelphia has scored 310 points. That's fourth or fifth highest in the league. Dallas has scored 347 and only given up 185. It's the biggest differential. positive differential. But Dallas hasn't beaten a single team, not a single team with a winning record. Not a team. So I don't know what that counts for. San Francisco, Some of that's the division. 310 scored and 170 given up, plus 140. Miami scored a lot of points. Buffalo scored a lot of points. Baltimore is plus 140 almost. 324 scored and 187 given up. Kansas City's only given up 181 points in 11 games. San Francisco fewer than that, 170 in 11 games. And then you have terrible teams like the Giants scored 159. Carolina's terrible, 173 scored. The Jets, New England, both terrible. The New England scored 148 points in 11 games. That puts them That's at the, the worst. That That's the, the worst. worst. Yes. That's the worst. Yeah. So awful. But anyway, let me get off the pros and let me get to college. Because there was a, 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 just a barrage of great college games. Later in the day, you got to see Florida State save its season against Florida. You got to see Washington save its season against Washington State. These are traditional rivalry games. But the two games earlier in the day, starting with Ohio State-Michigan, I mean, that, that was a terrific game. Michigan, as, you know, as Mitch said earlier, Michigan stared them down. Yeah, they did. Stared them down. And Ryan Day is an unsympathetic character. And I'm sure there are a lot of people at Ohio State who want to get rid of him, even though his record is phenomenal. Yeah. Except, except against the top ranked team. Like he yeah. only loses to teams like the top, you know, five. Right. So so it is reasonable to conclude can we win a championship with this guy if when we get into these games he doesn't win them? I was happy. I did not think Michigan would win. I thought Ohio State would win. I. If you pay a head coach $10 million and he can't be there for the last three games and you win all three, why are you paying him $10 million? Would be one of my feelings. And that game would have been enough. But the Alabama-Auburn game was the best thing I saw in the weekend. Alabama-Auburn, the end of that game. It, it's Auburn has to win that game. Let me just go over this. Well, it's not just what happened on the field. It was the, it was the video production, the way that they were doing images around the entire stadium and what that game was going to mean to those fans. At the end of the game, it's these, the, Alabama's 31 yards away. They have to score a touchdown. They're 31 yards away, and this is their last chance. It's flutie-like, but it's not really flutie because it's not a heave into the end zone. It's, it's not. It's a... Very controlled pass into the end zone by the Alabama kid. But as I watch that play develop, again, they're on the 31-yard line, and they must score a touchdown. What's the easiest way to stop a touchdown? Well, the easiest way to stop a touchdown is to force the quarterback out of the pocket and make him start to run, because then he can't throw anymore. Once he crosses the line of scrimmage, Throwing is not available to him. And then he's got to go 31 yards. There is very, very little chance of that happening. There's very little chance of him making the pass he made. But there's less chance of him making that run. Because the the other team's got 11 guys to go get him. And you have a clock. Right. Now, tell me why 
the defensive coordinator at Auburn, has a three-man rush that does not rush at all. Not at all. They play contain. Don't play contain. Contain is stupid. Go get him. Force him to run. This is, to me, utterly fireable on the part of the defensive coordinator and maybe the head coach as well, if he approves this, utterly fireable at Auburn. And and to your point, Michael, the pictures in the stands, the people are weeping. Oh, my God, they're just weeping. Yeah. Auburn should have won that game. Yeah. In no way Alabama wins. What did you think when you saw that? I was just stunned. I, I always suspect that Alabama is going to find a way to win those. But then you think back to the what was the the one where the guy gets the the missed field goal in the back of the kick six, the it kick six. It all the way back. <laughs> so that that game like has some legendary finishes. And but yeah, you can't just sit there and have three guys sort of you know play patty cake That's with the other doing. They're not women. attempting to put any pressure no, on you. Go him. put pressure on him. It's I mean it's Crazy. that happens every and it's, single and time. It's, if it's before that needing the actual touchdown, not a field goal. To get the win, and it's the the misplay on the snap. The snap you're was running, terrible, and it cost him about ten and yards. And then all of a sudden, yeah. when when he makes the the pass and it's caught, it's so quiet, and you can't actually tell at first if it's a touchdown or not because you it, you're sitting there going, it easily would be batted down or not. But you're just, and then in hindsight, you're like, how was there nobody that was in his face? Yeah. You're just sitting there hoping, like, well, there's, you know, we've already felt like we've won the game, and it's likely going to be incomplete he was or get batted the away. Defense which is where Gerard Phelan was yep. behind the defense with Flutie. Yeah. The defense was right at the end line, and Phelan was a yard deep. Where were you? I know you, your feet were in the end zone. Were you at the, the back of the end zone, or were you to one of the sides? Um, I was on one of the sides. I was on the left-hand side. The action was on the right-hand side. I was okay. on the left-hand side about halfway back. Okay, you didn't, you didn't share that detail when you gave this recollection on PTI last week. I did not. My favorite I, PTI moment of the I, year. I just said I, my feet were in the end zone. <laughs> well, because I was, I was watching that play, yeah. and you and do you see the see right – I was looking for you. Yeah, um, no, I'm not in the shot. Yeah. I'm not in the shot because it's in the – as you face the end zone from the field, that happens on the right-hand side, and I was on the left. Didn't you say the Miami guy just fell to his Carl knees? Carl Smith fell to his – because he just lost the game. He went down in a heap. <laughs> yeah, yes. Down in a heap, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the, the Alabama – there's no way. There's no way. They should, it's just really – all credit to Alabama. Yeah. But that shouldn't happen. No. Really shouldn't happen. Those were very – all those games were good. And then they went into the Washington game and then the Florida State game. And I still think Florida State – Florida State, their, their season has been devalued by Louisville losing. They're going to play Louisville in the finals of the ACC championship. And Louisville is not going to be ranked anywhere near where Washington and Oregon are going to be ranked. You know, or anywhere near what Texas is going to – Texas – is going to, in my opinion, have a bigger claim. To, if, Alan, if Alabama beats Georgia, they're in. Oh, yes. They're in. Yes. And then Georgia. Texas beat them. Georgia should win. Yeah. But would, who knows? Would Georgia be in as a one-loss team at that point? Don't know. Yeah. I don't know because they're not a conference champion. That's true. Alabama beats them in the conference. I think conference championships mean something. I think that's why Ohio State, a one-loss team, but they're not going to play for the conference championship. So we will uh, take a break and come back, email and jingle, yes? That's right. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show. Just love it. You want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad, please? He's not the Elvis of the Greek Isles, but he's pretty good. That's right. He's, he's pretty mentioned. good. Uh, Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. We've got the bagel sandwiches today. An extra one for, for Chessie, hopefully. Um, all you need to do is go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. To that point, Chessie is nowhere to be found. Yes. She's coming back today. Very excited <laughs> about back that. She afternoon. knows what's waiting for her. <laughs> That's going to do it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, standing on a mountain looking down on a city, the way I feel is a doggone pity. Teardrops falling down a mountainside. Many times I've been here. Many times I've cried. We used to be so happy when we were in love, high on a mountain of love. That's Johnny Rivers. Mountain of love. And I believe Johnny Rivers, his real name may be something like Ramistella. Johnny Ramistella. Yes. I love Johnny Rivers. <laughs> He's great. I love Johnny Rivers. He's really? still, still singing, I think. I believe he is still singing, yes. Thanks to our guest today, Mitch Album. Don't forget about Mitch's new book, The Little Liar, which is available wherever you get your books. Thanks as well to today's sponsors. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple, please leave us a review. So what have we got here from Jason in Hartford, Connecticut? Well, I have enjoyed all of the airtime given to Tommy DeVito, the current New York Giants quarterback recently, including your acknowledgement last Monday that he still lives with his parents. I've been surprised there's been no mention that he also shares the name of Joe Pesci's character in Goodfellas and, of course, the classic last line from Billy Batts, go get your shine box, Tommy. And that was issued to Michael Imperioli, I believe. I, I believe that in the movie... That character, Tommy, mm-hmm. is from the guy from... Um, from Sopranos? From, yeah, Sopranos, Michael Imperioli. Am I wrong on that? I could be wrong. Well, Ma- Michael <clears throat> Imperioli is in that. He gets shot by Tommy at one point. Okay, so I have that wrong. Yeah. I got have that wrong. But he's in the movie. He's in the movie, From yes. Andrew Emch, E-M-C-H, in Archbald, Ohio. I've listened to you and Mike since undergrad in Columbus over 20 years ago. Eat it, Michigan. Well, you're going to have to eat. <laughs> now the woman to whom yeah, I'm related by marriage and I are regular podcast listeners, although she prefers stories of Michael's kids. Over the years, you and Michael have relayed many heartwarming, funny, and entertaining stories, but none have delivered me so much pleasure as Wilbon's fangirl story with Travolta. Are you kidding me? The guy carries Steph Curry and Michael Jeffrey Jordan's numbers in his phone, and yet when he faces <laughs> off with Danny Zuko, he might as well be me. Michael Wilbon, the everyman, well, plus a couple of houses. Anyway... <laughs> 
Thanks for the years of stories that entertain and keep us connected, even those that keep you humble. Now, what resonated with you about the commercial? <laughs> that was, that's a know. great question from John. Um, from Jim Lennon, not John Lennon. Not that John Lennon, obviously. <laughs> I'm thoroughly disappointed that your guest today, and it's referring back to Jason Lock and Fora, had a hiccup and you didn't call him out on it. First it was sneezing, then hiccups. I imagine armpit farts within the next few episodes. <laughs> Hope this mail uh, email makes it from Swan Point, Maryland, to your humble abode. Happy Thanksgiving. Jimmy, the UPS guy. Thank you, Jimmy. From Bruce. Isn't there a restaurant in Palm Beach that Tony talks about? If I'm not dreaming, can you tell me the name of it? The fish restaurant. Where we went with Alan. Uh, with Alan. I'll look it up. Yeah, okay. From Carla Corrado in Columbus, Ohio. The worst pop song is Brandy, You're a Fine Girl by Looking Glass. That's it. That's, that's pretty Talking much Talking about what the yes. Reef Grill, Dad? Hmm? The Reef? Oh, the Reef Grill. That, well, that's, yeah, that's up by, by Seminole. Yeah, that's the best fish restaurant in the world, the Reef Grill. You're right. Brian Deaton, Lexington, Kentucky. Chessie's recent behavior is indeed concerning, as these behaviors tend to escalate, I would know as the father of three young adults. I recommend that you start marking the levels on all your liquor bottles and start hiding the car keys. Uh, Jonathan Schwartz, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Chessie changing her behavior by raiding the countertops for food at nine years old isn't that troubling, especially compared to Roy Horn of Siegfried and Roy and seven-year-old Manticore. That's a behavior change to be worried about. I'm not going into that. From Chris Van Sells, emails us a lot, Forest Hill, Maryland. I can't offer anything on Chessie's eating habits other than sympathy. Last week, my middle two teenagers were the last ones to leave the house. Not only did they not lock up the dogs, but they also left the pantry wide open. So it didn't take long for the dogs, Tyson, a 120-pound Rottweiler, and Otis, 40-pounds boxer mutt, to realize their windfall. They cleaned out everything on the lower shelves, brownies, cookies, oatmeal pies, dry Raymond noodles, and for some reason, a whole box of baking soda. Their stomachs were so upset that night that the gurgling woke me up from a dead sleep, and they threw up all manner of wrappers the entire next day. Several days later, Tyson is still sentenced to a rice diet because he was 100% the mastermind. Like Chessie, he's also nine years old. You can't teach old dogs new tricks, indeed. From John Agliata in St. Louis, Missouri, who says, P.S., I'll say hi to the arch for you, which I appreciate. Hearing of Chessie's recent dining experiences with food on your kitchen counter brought back some memories. Back when the woman to whom I'm related by marriage and I were in our early years of wedded bliss, we had a dog called Memphis, named after the city of the Commercial Appeal newspaper where I interned while I was in college. One night I came home from my copy editing job at the Battle Creek Inquirer to find a bunch of shards that looked to be plastic all over the floor. There stood Memphis, looking at me guilty, guiltily. It was then that I remembered what had come in the mail the day before I left for work and what was missing from the kitchen table where I'd left at a six-month supply of my wife's birth control <laughs> Maybe Keep it was mind, Memphis. The paper ran on the presses at midnight, so this is about 12.30 a.m. I finally found an emergency vet who would answer the phone. These were pre-internet times. He told me to give the dog a capful of hydrogen peroxide to induce vomiting. Yes, absolutely. I spent the next hour wandering around the apartment complex grounds in the freezing Michigan winter while Memphis barfed up six months of birth control pills. Thankfully, Memphis was fine after that. Even more thankfully, the woman to whom I'm related by marriage did not give birth to our first child, a masculine child, until a few years later. <laughs> Mark in Syracuse. The first week I moved into the woman to whom I'm now related by marriage's house, I made us an appetizing salmon and rice dinner. Put mine down on the table, went back to the kitchen, only to come back see my salmon missing and the rice remaining. I wasn't sure what had happened, only to look over the couch at her dog staring at me, her eyes and smirk saying, you're number three in this house, pal. Don't mess with me. <laughs> Grateful for all the hours of entertainment. Happy Thanksgiving to everybody. From Ed Butt, who we love. Episode 51. I don't think we have to go into that. Let me see. Chessie is nine, which in human years makes her about the same age as we are. I don't know about you. 
But I've pretty much gotten to the age where if I want to, I'll do it. Consequences be damned. What are they going to do? Sentence me to life? It's funny. Um, Frank Kelly, Situate, Massachusetts. Uh, I almost fell off the treadmill at the Y when I heard Carville take BC getting eight and a half. I'm sitting in section QQ of Alumni Stadium, 35-yard line, with fellow little Louis DeGusto at halftime. And the U leads the Eagles 28 to 7. I only wish James was here so we could join our post game tailgate that should start at the end of the third. At least Reginald didn't pick BC. He says, I passed on a golf tournament for this game. Carville got beat. Carville got, was two and four or something like that. Yeah. Richard Morell, I keep waiting for a little to validate my conviction, but they haven't come through, so I'm compelled to write and set the record straight. The worst song ever, and this one topped both the pump, pop and country charts, is Honey. By Bobby Goldsboro. It's, it's dreadful. Is it? I don't know. I'm not oh, familiar with dreadful, that. But honey, I miss you and I'm doing good and I'd love to be with you if only I could. She dies. It's just terrible. A wave of nausea just overwhelmed me as I typed this out. None of the other nominations elicit such a reaction at the mention of their titles. Tell me you feel it too. I do. And, and I, I sort of liked Bobby Goldsboro, but that, that was, I would say that was unforgivable. Um, what is this? It's, it's pictures of you can save $5. Another sign that a football team is in trouble. From Joe Anderson, Alexandria, Virginia. I guess this is a Washington. Is that Terry McLaurin? Yeah, that's the cl- McLaurin of- Crunch, I think it's called. Oh, yeah. Crunch time, yes. 99 cents, save $5. <laughs> Trade. Trade. Yeah. You bought it high at night. <laughs> From did. Jeff McAleer in Springfield, like Virginia. Crypto. My bathroom currently contains the same Orgel natural fruity bubble that Elliot Olshansky's second masculine child is hooked on. It also contains Orgel Kids natural berry blast, Tom's of Maine silly strawberry, and Act Kids bubblegum blowout. We have all of these options because my masculine child requires options to choose from every night. Yep. He doesn't actually choose different things, of course. He chooses bubblegum every night. But God forbid all four options aren't available to choose from or hell will break loose. Experienced parents will be familiar with my decision to just accept this. Sure, kid. We can take four tubes of toothpaste on vacation. It seems to give him great joy. Once you get your Crest Original Tartar Control, you might consider keeping the other junk around just so you can choose not to use it two times a day. Yep, no gentle parroting there. Uh, this is still better than brushing the teeth of the captain, who every third night decides to bite you. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> um, Mike Stinnefort, freelance meteorologist. Uh, WTOP, I know yes, that name. Yes, we know Mike. On Wednesday's show, you mentioned that Alice's Restaurant was Arlo Guthrie's only hit. Actually... Guthrie's only top 40 hit was City of New Orleans. 100% right. You're right. You're right. Which was released in 1972. Alice's Restaurant, which is actually Alice's Restaurant Massacre. That's right. Received a lot of airplay, uh, especially on album rock stations, but at over 18 minutes, was way too long to become a hit in the tight formats of AM radio in the late 60s. Not trying to usurp Kevin Sheehan, but I would love to be the official freelance radio meteorologist of the show, if not already taken. It's yours. <laughs> Thanks for the laughs and entertainment. As on my lovely bride. We and do I weather on the eighth. DC <laughs> to our mountain home west of Front on the seventh. Let's beat TOP. <laughs> Front Royal. That's a long way out. That is a bit of a drive. Yes, that's a long. I've reached way the out. point in my life where I start playing TOP in the house. <laughs> Just runs <laughs> in the kitchen. Oh, you're there. <laughs> that's very lovely. That's very lovely. If you're out on a bike tonight, everyone as always do wear white. I'm going to solve. No, you're not. You're an idiot. Corno Curl Cabinet. No, no, no. I'm so worn out how I've been living. I've been ungrateful, distasteful, and shameful. I'm so fed up with choices I've been making. It's time to get up and go out and change it. I'm gonna walk the walk. Not just talk the talk. I'm making changes. I'm making moves. I'm gonna walk the walk. Not just talk the talk. I'm making changes. 
I'm letting go 